Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. Open them up to John chapter 10 as we continue our series called Shocking Jesus. Today we're going to ask a provocative question that a lot of people should give themselves permission to ask. And it's really simple. One question, two words that could absolutely change the course of a person's life. And that question is this, why Jesus? Why Jesus? Um, When I was in school, I'm just going to be honest with you, I was not a great science student. And it's not because I didn't love science, it's because I was an idiot. That's why. Um, I just goofed up a lot in school. Uh, One year for the seventh grade, I can remember doing a science fair project um, where the whole idea was, if I talk to plants over the course of three months, will they grow faster? It was an uh, idea I read about in a magazine, and I thought it was really cool. The only problem is I didn't start the project till the night before, and I made up all the data, and I made a really cool backboard, and the following week, I won third place. (laughs) So um, why try? I'm just kidding. Um, Then in eighth grade, I can remember I had one teacher who was just like a big-hearted, kind, compassionate teacher, and I was at the height of my middle school nonsense, and I just got in trouble all the time for talking. One time I got in trouble so bad, they put me in in in-school suspension, and I'm in there with all the edgy kids like, yeah, I have like street cred now at the school because I've had suspension, and they're like, what are you in for, like drugs or alcohol or fighting? I'm like, Just chatting, just chatting a lot. Um, So I remember one teacher, and my science teacher in eighth grade was just like weeping one day after class, like, Aaron, like, I am so sorry that you're getting in trouble, but please, please would you stop? And just tears are just pouring down her face. And all I could think in that moment was, I broke you. (laughs) So that was before Jesus really got a hold of me. And um, then finally we graduate to high school and I'm in chemistry, which chemistry's fun, you know, chemicals, acid, fire, all those fun things. And um, I can remember that I had the sweetest lab partner um, named Lauren. And to this day, I'm still very regretful on behalf of what I'm about to tell you. So um, I noticed that we had these Bunsen burners where we would perform all of our science projects and lighters, but the Bunsen burner, in order to work, you had to take this rubber hose and fit it onto a little gas valve so you could flip the gas valve on and off. And so one day I thought, I'm just gonna do my own science fair project. What happens when you just light the gas coming straight out of the valve? And so Lauren was standing there, and um, I've never seen a dragon in real life. But after that moment, I can sort of predict what it would look like after this person almost became an actual human torch. It was centimeters away from engulfing Lauren in flames. And um, I didn't get in-school suspension for that, just still the talking. Um, Jokes on all my teachers, it's now what I do for a living. But science is super important uh, for no other reason than it constantly asks the question, why? Which is good. We live in a generation of why. So a couple of years ago, the moderns, we're currently in a postmodern society, but the modern society, um, they really liked things that were concrete. A modern person might just say, give me my list, let me be organized, give me my large corporation to trust, tell me what my beliefs are, give me my marching orders, and I will get it done. 
We're at all-time levels of distrust for major organizations, the news, politics. And so now we are entering this postmodern stage where people get almost nothing done because they're asking the question, not what, but why. But people of faith, that's a great time to be alive. This is exactly what we should be hoping for because if we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, we should never be afraid of questions because good questions lead to gorgeous understanding, which leads to truth. And so today, today we ask the question, what would it be like to actually meet Jesus, one of history's most interesting people, one of history's most di divisive figures? I happen to believe that the Bible is an, an incredibly sound historical document. I think that it holds up remarkably well under some of the most rigorous academic scrutiny. There was one scholar who once said that there is more evidence for the existence of Jesus than for Shakespeare. The evidence is that strong. And if you don't take my word for it, because I'm a Christian, you would expect me to say that, um, then here's some of the words of an author by the name of Bart D. Ehrman. And he wrote a book called, Did Jesus Exist? Which would be an interesting read if you want to check it out. Um, he's not a Christian, as you'll hear in his quote in just a moment. He writes this, scholarly expertise requires years of patiently examining ancient texts and a thorough grounding in the history and culture of Greek and Roman antiquity. The religions of the ancient Mediterranean world, both pagan and Jewish, knowledge of the history of the Christian church and the development of its social life, the theology, and well, lots of other things. It is striking that virtually everyone who has spent all the years needed to gain this expertise is convinced that Jesus was a real historical figure. And many of these scholars have no vested interest in the matter. As it turns out, I myself do not either. I am not a Christian. I have no interest in promoting a Christian cause or a Christian agenda. I'm an agnostic with atheist leanings, and my life and views of the world would be approximately the same whether or not Jesus existed. My beliefs would vary really little. But as a historian, I think evidence matters, and the past matters. And for anyone to whom both evidence and the past matter, a dispassionate consideration of the case makes it quite plain. Jesus did exist. As Christians, we should never be afraid to ask the question why. Because when it comes down to it, compelling, gorgeous, amazing evidence is on our side. But today, we're going to ask a more provocative question. Not just did he exist. But if he existed, what would it be like to meet him? It would be shocking. What would it be like to encounter this table-flipping, labor-healing, wine-making, sinner-loving, kingdom-preaching, system-defying, Satan-crushing hero? What would it be like to come face-to-face -face with him? Because Jesus never asks for our neutrality. He presses for you to take a stand and those who follow Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who claims that he's not just good, he is God. That Jesus, those who follow him go all the way. And those who reject him really hate him. And today we're going to see some evidence for that. So in John chapter 9, we didn't actually study that text, but please go home and read it. It is so good. In John chapter 9, there was a group of people around a blind man. And the religious people of the day, they began to explain why the man was in the condition that he was in. Have you ever noticed that, G that religious people um, like to say whose fault things are? Oh, it must be his fault. This guy is blind because there must be sin in his family or he must have sinned. 
Because something must have occurred that we can explain in order for this man to be in duress. And Jesus didn't really go into that debate at all. Instead, he just healed the man. If you've been here through our message series, you know that we, in the narrative of this story, we are in a really tense moment. Jesus has been going head to head with his toughest critics, picking, we said last night, the very fight that would lead him to the cross. But now here in John 10, we find ourselves, and Jesus' tone is beginning to change. And for a moment, he's being gentle. His kindness is so radiant. And in these verses we're about to study, Jesus lays out his case. Here's why. Here's why. This is what the invitation really is. So without any further ado, let's dive into the text. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 10, the Bible says this. Jesus tells the people, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and take it up again. And this charge I have received from my father. I think we see five amazing reasons why regarding Jesus in this text, and probably so many more. So go home and read it yourself and find out what this text is really saying in its deepest treasure. But today we're going to discuss some of these points. But before we do, let's pray and ask for God's help. Jesus, thank you so much that we believe when we turn our attention to you in moments like this, that we're not speaking into the air, but to a presence who loves us and for the one who desires to be close. Thank you in your word. You tell us that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so meet us here in this room right now and change our lives through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a couple of reasons. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? You might have asked this before in your life. You might be asking this today. And if you're asking, it's okay, because Jesus has something to say. The first reason is this, because the enemy really is that bad. That's why Jesus. Because the enemy really is that bad. Jesus is looking into a group of religious people, and he says, here's what you've got to know. Here's what sets me apart and makes me so different that the thief the thief in this world, the evil one, the wicked one, the one that rebelled against God himself, the author of lies, the author of evil, the author of hate, the thief, he has one purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, we live in a world right now, and the lie in the world is this. Evil or darkness, it's kind of cool. It's kind of sexy. Uh, we're about to come up on October, and we're going to go into stores all over the place. 
and we're going to start celebrating, um, you know, like vampires and darkness. And I'm not like preaching against Harry Potter or anything like that, but a deeper sense that in each one of us, even just a moment ago, I was talking about getting in trouble in school as if that's kind of cool and edgy. We have this lie that there is this cool quality about being evil or bad. Naughty costumes, edgy darkness, brightness is bland. Maybe just a few drugs, a couple of lies, a little sex. And there's this idea that really to get it right in life, you can have it both ways. Just a little bit of good and some things that are not so bad. Why would Jesus care? What's the big deal? Jesus cares deeply. And it's not so you can uphold some religious standard to impress him. He invented the world. He made the oceans and everything that lives in them. He stretched to stars in the heavens. I don't care how many times you pray a prayer, you cannot impress God. So why does he care so much? Because he knows the nature of sin. And he knows the nature of the thief. And he seeks only to steal, to kill, and destroy. And our sins are the enemy's ammunition to take us down. Every time we sin, we load his gun all over again. Evil has a nature. I told you guys earlier that I'm so excited to have my family back. They were gone for two weeks on the East Coast visiting family. And uh, towards the end of their trip, like I, I think I did pretty good. For most of it, like I had a lot of people over. Um, I tried to get some stuff done around the house. That didn't go as well as I hoped. I did build a dresser. It was me and the Allen wrench, and it is now there. Um, but like towards the end of the trip, like the last two days, I just started getting sad, like really missing them. And on the worst day, I ran across this news article that was just another example of tragedy in our world. And it was a story about a young four-year-old girl who was staying at her grandmother's house, and the story went on to say that she had been staying there because her dad was 22 when um, she was born. He was really young, and so in order to finish high school, the grandmother partnered with him in helping to raise this child. And the little girl this past week was uh, going through her grandmother's purse to get a piece of candy, and a gun went off in the purse and killed her. And I just remember sitting on the stairs. I don't normally get emotional over news articles, but I was already in that place, and I really had tears start welling up in my eyes is I just start to think how sick that is, how awful that is. And I thought in that moment, we would all agree with as divisive as our country is right now. We would all agree that's terrible. We would all agree that moment is tragic. But there is one who would not agree with that. There is one who gets excited about that, and it's the thief. And that's his nature. In that moment, Satan, the enemy, the one who hates your soul, the one that tempts you, the one that leads you into all of this junk, he was so happy because that's what he wants. He loves death. He loves carnage. And anything to the contrary that you think about him is incorrect. He's wicked. I thought about the life and laughter in my daughter's life that is now gone. And how we should be sickened by death. And how Jesus is sickened by death. And that's why he gave his life to overcome it once and for all. I read another story about an orphanage in Europe. Again, these tragedies in the world. Where does this come from? Jesus is so clear about where it comes from. And what he feels about this evil and this tragedy. 
This is a story about an orphanage, and it was um, a religious-run orphanage where the children were hurt and abused and tortured. In fact, there was this discovery, maybe you've read about it, about um, a mass grave where kids had been thrown into, and this is stomach-turning stuff. This is not the way, certainly we think, this is not the way things are supposed to be. And Jesus would agree with that, but the enemy would not. See, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And what would you do if you were a good God that loved your kids? What would you do if you watched all of this? I'll tell you what Jesus did. He entered into the mess in all of his beauty, in all of his strength, and all of his compassion. So why Jesus? And he traded the glory of heaven to confront evil and religious hypocrisy once and for all. Because Satan loves to But the only thing Jesus wants to kill is death itself. And good news, he did. Comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life, 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 and life abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's the second thing that we see. Second reason. His intentions are astounding. His intentions are astounding. If you don't remember who Jesus is, you might lose this point. If you don't visualize where Jesus was before he came to earth. So if he was just another guy trying to get ahead in the world, trying to find our identity, trying to make a life for ourselves, then this point would be great, but we would lose the impact. If we remember who Jesus is in all of his might and all of his glory, his presence on this earth is such a game changer. And it reveals his true intention. Look at this scripture in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, the sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's to remember that while they were nailing Jesus to the cross, that in him, he was sustaining the universe by the word of his power. Mighty God, this conquering king, this radiant warrior, this glorious force came in flesh so he could identify you were in the flesh. Why? The question is not why Jesus, but why us? Why would a good God like that to come here to this brokenness? With all of this sin, with all of this hurt, with all of this heartbreak, he left heaven and he had everything to lose and nothing to gain except for us. Why us? Why us? Here's why I came. I came that you may have life and life abundant. You breathe that oxygen in your lungs, you experience that new life when Christ says that you are not what the enemy says you are. When Christ says you have worth and you have power. Sued you through the ages because I never, ever, 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 ever stopped wanting you. I don't care how far you thought you went. I don't care how deep you thought you could. 
never, ever, 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 ever stopped wanting you. And my work silences the evil one of this age. And I speak to your you're a child, you are chosen, you are loved, and when you're in Christ, you are new. Easy to pass this up, to be wanted by our maker. And some people are skeptical. Why? Seems too, too good to be true. I went to Costco with Drew and Andrea the other day. They're big Costco fans, so, and they have a card. So if you want a free ride off of their Costco membership, I bought some towels the other day. When you walk around Costco, you're going you're gonna to start taking in the smells because it's, especially if you go on a Sunday, because Sunday's free sample day. Amen. Free sample day. And uh, you got to go around and you got to wonder, like, how, how are they making any money? Like, why do they go? And I'm like, yes, I'll take your assorted nuts. Yes. Okay, I'll go for it. What? A little piece of key lime pie and then my favorite, gourmet pizza rolls. Mm. And isn't that, isn't that a bit of an oxymoron, a gourmet pizza roll, really? <laughs> When's the last time the waiter, the maitre d' sat you at a fine table, music? Yes, tonight for our specials, may I interest you in the lobster tail, the truffle risotto, tuna tartare, and a lovely gourmet pizza roll with pepperoni chunks. Could I interest you in that? Why do they give you the pizza rolls? Why? There is actually an in a pretty scholarly publication called The Atlantic. <laughs> and they said that these free samples and pizza rolls are like the top. They increase sales by 2,000%. You think you're taking a pizza roll? That pizza roll's taking you. <laughs> Compared to demonstration, sales pitches, graphics, and video, it's by far the most effective marketing tool. About this whole idea of faith. What a crazy promise that God Himself wants me. What does Jesus? I'm still asking that question. So I've been a Christ follower for some years now, and one thing I know about myself is I don't make a very good return on His investment. I'm still a lot more trouble than I would seem like I'm worth. I'm not a very good servant. While the rest of creation does what it's created to do, the stars give glory to God like it's supposed to the trees grow and give oxygen the animals poop everywhere and do what they're supposed to do I'm not so good at giving purpose as a child of God so what does Jesus get out of this deal while my wife and daughter were on the east they sent me a video of my little girl at Disney World now I did not get to go to Disney World with her um, but I got to see all the pictures and that was great and so I'm getting nothing out I'm getting nothing out of making sure she gets to go. And I bought her like a, a little Elsa princess dress so she could be one of the princesses. She already thinks she is. So she might as well look like one. Uh, they sent me a video of her and she had just gotten off a particular ride. And she's looking at the camera and she's like, Andrea's like, tell daddy how it was. And she's like, daddy, I love so much. This is the part that I loved. And you might ask the question in that moment, what did I get out of that? Nothing except joy complete joy because her joy is my joy and your joy is God's joy and your pain is God's pain and that's why he tells us when we're a church body 
Romans 12, 15, those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because that's the heart of God. That's why Jesus. There's a third reason we see. It's because Jesus is the only one who's earned the right. He's the only one who's earned the right. What makes this so clear? What makes him good? He doesn't bring up the fact that he invented you and knows how many hairs you have on your head and understands the complexities of the stay in your day-to-day existence. He could have referred to all those things about how he's the king of kings and lord of lords, about how he could speak and things are created. He could speak and things are destroyed. All of this might and all of this glory and all of this goodness. But when he makes the case for his goodness, it's quite simple. Verse 11. Shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I think we forget I know I do. I find myself so often in times with Jesus, not knowing what's going on, and I get restless. I I get worried. I get greedy. I find myself, Jesus, I want more. And this verse speaks back to me. I'm going to die for you, Aaron. Live forever. And I'm like, God, I'm just not sure if you're good because right now I don't have a few things I still want. I'm so frustrated. And his answer answer to you is I'm going to die for you so that you can live forever. But God, I'm just not sure if you're, I just wish that things in my life made more sense. I just wish I knew what to do next. I just wish that things were more clear. I just wish that things were more easy. I just wish I had more money. I just wish I had more, 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 more. And he says, Aaron, I'm going to die for you so that you can live forever. You don't have to agree with the central claim of Christ, but just make sure that you're basing your decision on his actual claim. Not a health and wealth gospel. Not that you believe a system and things get easier. Not 10 simple to go great with God. He never promises it will be instantly easy. Here's what he says. My precious child die for you so that you can live forever there's a fourth thing that we see Jesus because he offers security and intimacy I love this one verse 14 he said I'm the good shepherd know my own and they know me just as the father knows me and I know the I laid down my life for the sheep. A second time he tells us that. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. You know, one of the number one things that seems like has come up in conversation this week, people asking, how do I hear from God? How do I hear from him? I wish he was speaking to me. So let's just talk about that for one second. Have you ever been close in a relationship with someone and you just kind of like begin to understand the sound of their voice even before they say something? My daughter was just back in the back playroom. She gave me a perfect illustration. And I start to hear a familiar gallop down the hallway. She said not one thing, but it was just clop, clop, very uncoordinated. It's the Bennett gallop. And I knew in just a second, she's going to come popping around that corner. And sure enough, there she was. Why? She knows me. I've spent time with her. And there's an intimacy that is a beautiful guide. 
I can tell my brother Bryce just by his footsteps. Um, I can tell it's my dad entering the room just by the way he clears his voice. I can tell my mom because she's super mean. Don't tell her I said it's true. I'm just kidding. But I hear people saying all the time, why isn't God speaking to me? He is. This verse, he is. I was just talking to Cody this week, our worship leader, who does such a great job. And uh, I'm going to tell some of your story if it's okay. He said, uh, I've ever heard from God before. And I said, yeah, I know a lot of people who feel that way because we misidentify what that looks like. I said, so let me ask you another question. Involved with something um, after you met Christ, and there's just something inside your heart that kind of made you feel bad. Like, don't do that again. Stop doing that. And he goes, oh, yeah, of course. I've heard that. And I said, well, there you go. You've heard from God. And the trick is to learn the sound of that voice. That's really the key story in 1 Kings 18 about a man named Elijah. And when we think about hearing from God, we think about the prophets in the Old Testament, right? Elijah, the prophet. And in this story, from an evening, he goes to the side of a mountain, and there, while he's standing there, there's this great wind. And the scripture makes clear, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there is fire, and the scripture makes clear, but God wasn't in the fire. And then finally, an earthquake. And the scripture says, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And came the still, small voice. Well, what does that mean for us? Hebrews 1 says that in the Old Testament, God spoke. But now, starting after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, now he has spoken through his son. We have the same access to the very voice of God that those in the Old Testament had by his spirit. So how do you hear voice? You learn how it sounds, and the next time it will get louder. And that is called walking by the spirit. And so today, so many of you, you sort of want to what am I supposed to do? Or, or what is the answer to this question that I have? I have some other questions for you that might be helpful. I could do a whole message for free today. Number one, is there anything in your life that God is telling you to stop? Then stop. Sometimes God wants you to make room before you make progress. All of us want what's next. And Jesus said what's right now. What's he telling you to stop? How about this? What is Jesus telling you to start? What is he I'm of the mind that God's not going to change his mind. He leads you along the path and he won't skip steps. For some reach out and reconcile a relationship. And every time you get close to God, the Holy Spirit is bringing that person's name back to your mind. For some to get involved in a ministry that he has laid on your heart for so long. It could be big, it could be small. Most of the time it's small. And you're sort of that one. Some of you, it is to get a certain area of your life in order to do the hard thing, to pursue a spiritual discipline. If you listen, you'll be that precious voice and it will be so much louder next time. There's a third one. Not just what is he telling you to stop, what is he telling you to start, where is he making where is he making you wait? And I just want to speak this in pastorally today. I happen to believe that when it comes to God, answers are easy. 
So intimacy is the journey. Because intimacy is eternal. There's a fifth thing we see in this text. Always chasing the ones that need him. He is always chasing the ones that need him. John 10, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. I'm gonna ask for our musicians to come forward and just a time of response, a time to really listen to what God might be saying today. I hope to encourage your hearts, to give you conviction, to show you, give you hope on how to take a step forward. But I wonder where you're at today and where God is speaking. Why Jesus? And how is he working through you? I want to read one more time, John 10, 17. The Bible says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And the final reason, here you go, your bonus reason. Because Jesus of a shepherd but the power of a king. That's who he is. Is that who he is in your life? Because when he is, it changes everything. To walk in that intimacy, that's what the gospel is. That's what spirit-filled life looks like. That's where resonant joy comes from. When First Peter says, though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled with a glorious, inexpressible I wonder today, if one of those questions applies to you, is there anything that God is telling you to stop? Then take that step. Is there anything that God's telling you to start? Then let's go. Is there anywhere that God is asking you to wait? Then wait him. Press in him. Get real about what you're feeling and don't walk that journey alone. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I wonder if there's anybody in here right now that would say, Aaron, I'm really dealing with some of this. If those questions, I know exactly which one God is telling me to deal with. And today I just need the courage to say yes. I just want you to know if that's you, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that Jesus always knew what he was getting into when he came for you. He's never stopped wanting you. His faithfulness is immeasurable. He's faithful when you're faithless. And so today, say yes to him. Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing in this room. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. 